Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Captain of the Keeper Old Time Vintage Hockey Radio Program Podcast. I'm your host, the Captain, and with me, as always, is the Keeper. Glad to be with you. It's September 28th, 2020, and there is major news in the hockey world. The Ottawa Senators are going back to their retro vintage logo. Actually, there's some other big news, apparently. Tampa Bay Lightning are the 2020 Stanley Cup champions. As we speak, the celebration is ongoing in the locker rooms. And we'll be talking about the cup celebration. Of course, I previously mentioned Ottawa. We'll be hitting the, their new logo and their new uniforms. And September saw one of the greatest New York Rangers goaltenders of all time's birthday recently passed. We'll be hitting on all things Mike Richter in, in just a moment. And of course, finishing off with the world-renowned segment, Hugging the Post. Captain, what do you think about Tampa Bay winning the 2020 Stanley Cup? I think it's pretty interesting, Keeper. You've got two teams that came into the league round about the same time in the Lightning and the Ottawa Senators. And here we are in 2020 talking about one of them hoisting the Stanley Cup for the second time. And the other one's big news is going back to the drawing board and going back to their original logo. So uh, kind of a a cautionary tale of uh, how to and how not to run your franchise. But uh, congratulations to the uh, to the uh, Stanley Cup champions, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. It was uh, it was exciting at times, and uh, at other times it was a little disappointing. For example, seeing Gary Bettman come out and nobody booing him. I mean, that's a disappointment for any hockey fan. I want this man booed every time he appears publicly, anywhere he goes, when he goes out of his house. I want him booed. I want him booed definitely on national television. We didn't get that today, and I think he concocted this whole thing. I'm I'm honestly considering that Gary Bettman may have been behind the entire pandemic just to create the only circumstance in which National Hockey League fans would not boo him when he comes out to hand off the Stanley Cup. Uh, what do you think, Keeper? I mean, that would be the world's greatest conspiracy. I was hoping that they would have some fun with it, like you said, and give a nice boo track like they've been doing. The NHL has been having a lot of fun with the playoffs, with the fans in the stands, literal fans, and all the funny stuff they've been posted on the screens. But yeah, congratulations to the Lightning, their second Stanley Cup in their franchise history. Of course, they won in 2004 at the dawn of the lockout of the 0405 season. So when Tampa wins, weird things are happening in the NHL. And this is another one of those. We got a lot of answers tonight. A lot of the questions that we always like to see around this time of year. Answer, who's going to win the Consmite Trophy goes to Victor Hedman. I think I was going to pick Braden Point, but Victor Hedman is a pretty good option right there. Um, The other questions that got answered, who's going to be the second guy to get the cup after Captain Steven Stamkos? And that was Victor Hedman. Um, usually it's reserved to, you know, that old guy who hasn't won a cup yet. And that was the next guy. It was according to what I saw was Brayden Coburn. He used to be on the Philadelphia Flyers and Brayden Coburn had been in the NHL for a long time. Pretty deserving guy getting the cup after Hedman. And of course, Ryan McDonough. And I think all the Rangers fans out there could be happy for guys like Ryan McDonough and maybe Kevin Shattenkirk. I mean, he was not part of the Rangers dominant, dominant teams of the 2000 teens, but he was a Ranger nonetheless. So I think also one last thing before I pass it back to you is Tampa Bay proved the one goalie system works. And I know we've been going back and forth with that on the show quite a bit, but Andre Vasilevsky played every minute of the playoffs. That included the, the round Robin because Tampa was involved in that. So the one goalie system is proven to be the best one with the Stanley cup. 
Well, Keeper, you certainly proved that your pick for the best goalie in the league with the, one of the highest contracts on one of the best teams uh, was able to edge out my fringe goaltending candidate who uh, could have been playing in a beer league, could have been playing in the NHL. Nobody knew where he's going to start this season. All of a sudden, he's the runner-up, comes within two games of winning the Cup. So, yes, you proved that he could uh, barely inch out my pick. So I'll give you some credit on that. But, uh, yeah, some interesting stuff there. Steven Stamkos comes out in full equipment, uh, takes the cup, presents it. You know, he he wins the award. I won't touch on the fact that he didn't play very much. But if you're going to be the captain of a team, you might want to get out there, play a couple minutes, and score a big goal before going back out there, which Stamkos did. Uh, pretty exciting stuff from him in his few minutes of play in the playoffs and in the finals. But uh, I, I love the, uh, the the idea you're bringing up there because that's one of my favorite things too. Look, some of these guys that come out there, uh, we all know the captain's going to get the uh, the Stanley Cup presented to him first. But some of these old timers, some of the veterans, some of the leaders, some of the people's champions out there that the fans want to see, the guy who the captain hands the cup off to is uh, sort of a hockey lore kind of thing. That that's one of my favorite. Uh, traditions in the NHL is seeing, I mean, obviously the example of Ray Bork comes to mind. Uh, you get, you get a player of that caliber sitting there. He's been waiting 20 years, his whole career uh, boils down to that moment. And he finally gets to hoist up the Stanley cup. Uh, we didn't have anything quite that dramatic tonight, but keeper uh, who are some of your favorites over the years? The number two guy, the, uh, the veteran, the wily KG veterans waiting in the wings to be handed that Stanley cup first after the captain obviously gets it first i think the biggest one that comes to mind uh for those fans who have been following us since the pilot show is marion hosa getting the cup after captain jonathan taze in 2010 for the chicago blackhawks i think that one stands out to me as the the most memorable or one of the most memorable um it's pretty cool seeing glenn wesley for the veteran defenseman uh victory uh rob brindamore gives him the stanley cup in 2006 always nice to, for the old guys to get the cup uh dave anderchuk himself for the speaking of the tampa bay lightning dave anderchuk was the captain of the lightning team in 2004 when they won the cup and you know he's kind of the old guy without a cup getting the cup from gary bettman but he gives it and hands it off to Tim Taylor, another veteran player for the Tampa Bay Lightning that year. Uh, it was pretty cool. Mark Messier hands off the cup, I believe, to Kevin Lowe, even though they had one, that was their sixth Stanley Cup together. So, I mean, it would be cool to see, and I don't think I've ever seen this. Maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong. Has a captain ever handed off to a goalie first? Well, I think goalies in general, I think most captains understand that there's other guys you got to give the cup to first before the goalie. I mean, it makes a couple saves for you, but really, I mean, the guys, you know, they're they're kind of overrated. But I could imagine you, uh, your dream, you're standing there on the ice. You're not the starting goalie in your dream. In your fantasy, you're the backup goalie. You're standing there with the towel on your neck and you got the baseball cap on, but you're the 39-year-old goalie. And uh, you're waiting in the wings for uh, your your team has just won the cup. I, that's your dream come true. Maybe you didn't even play. Maybe you were Vasilevsky's backup, like a McElhaney. Maybe you, in your mind, I think, are, are that guy that you're sitting there waiting. And then you get to hoist the cup because you've been waiting the longest time. 
And nobody would have seen it because the NBC would have definitely cut away to their other programming by that point. You know, when the, the, the backup goalie gets his cup, especially for me, I probably would have been the play no minutes backup goaltender. I mean, I love seeing the third goalie. I like seeing who the third goalie is for the cup winning teams. I mean, that's always pretty cool. Usually their guy from the American League that's along for the ride. Hey, they get their ring. And they sat on the bench for an NHL team, which is still pretty cool. So uh, I don't care. I don't care whatever way you get your hand on that cup. If you're first, second, you're the last guy to get it. Doesn't matter. You still touched it. You still want it. Yep. You take it and you run and you celebrate as much as you can. And yeah, you enjoy it and you hope that it lasts a lifetime because you're probably not going to get on. Statistically, you're not likely to win a second one, especially now in 2020 repeat Stanley Cup champions are few and far between, but we did have one of those uh, this yeah, time. Unless you are. <laughs> unless you're Patrick Maroon uh, getting out there and going back to back. Uh, pretty cool situation for him. It's been discussed ad nauseum by the uh, NBC sports crew, but uh, the guy goes from you know the St. Louis Blues to the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he gets to win a cup back-to-back seasons. I can't imagine your ego not getting a little inflated by that, you know, kind of being like, well, I guess I was the reason we won in St. Louis and uh, in Tampa. He might be the reason why Tampa won, though. I mean, look they, look what happened to them in the first round last year. They needed a guy like that on their team, a guy who's done it before, who's been through the war, who's been through the battles and could pass along some you know tidbits of knowledge to this uh, team who was trying to get over the hump. So maybe it was the Patrick Maroon effect. Who knows? He definitely had the best beard, I think. Well, the beard is important. He certainly did. He brought plenty of sandpaper where they needed it and uh, got the job done. So uh, a big congratulations overall to the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning the Stanley Cup. But, you know, that's over. That's done. Let's talk about some more important, more pressing things going on in the NHL. The Stanley Cup win is so yesterday. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Ottawa Senators and Lightning coming into the league at the same time. I think that's a theme for this show, the 92-93 NHL season, or at least the start of it, because the Ottawa Senators are going back to a logo that is not exactly what they wore in that inaugural season. Well, their second run as a franchise, uh, but they're going back to that look of this, the old Senator logo that probably is from like the 95, 96, 97 era Senators kind of correcting, at least in my eyes and probably a lot of other fans eyes, a terrible mistake and going to red as a primary color and a, a senator logo where the guy is looking at you almost. I think what they're doing now is going back to their roots. Even though those early days of the Ottawa Senators were not great, they're still going back to a look that's more bringing back the nostalgia of that franchise. And I think that's a good move for them as you know, they're at the bottom of the barrel in the NHL last year. And, and they had been really since 20, it wasn't that long ago, 2017, where they made a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was only three years ago. And since then, it's been brutal. And their uniforms um, are going back to something that's a little, something that we could all relate to and say, hey, that was what, that was the Ottawa Senators that we, that we knew. So what do you think about Ottawa going back to that, that logo? Uh, this kind of reminds me, I, I think under other circumstances, uh, this, uh, this aesthetically, I like the move back to the, I mean, this you know, this is an old time move. They're going back to their 92, 93 spec. There's no way we're not going to like that. But at the same time, this kind of reminds me of a situation where you've got like, you know, two siblings and the one sibling has kind of gone on and has gone to like 
decided he's going to go to med school and become a doctor and got married to a supermodel and bought a $400 million house and has his own helicopter. And the other siblings like, well, I uh, got up out of bed this morning and I went to Applebee's and I got a job as a waiter. And the parents are kind of looking at the two and looking at these and comparing. And uh, I got to imagine Ottawa kind of feels like the latter on this one. They uh, they're watching Tampa Bay go up. I mean, again, they started at the same time. That's the sibling reference for me. You know, they uh, they start at the same time, and you're watching these guys hoist the Stanley Cup for the second time, and you're sitting around with really no traction. You're, you're in a hopeless rebuild at the moment, and I like the logo choice. I think it's great. But do you really want to look at this and say, uh, oh, great. Yeah, we're uh, our big news is we're going back to our logo from from 20 years ago. I don't know. I can't get past it. I I think uh, I think it's cool in and of itself. But at the same time, uh, tough news for Ottawa up there watching these guys. I don't know. For me, it kind of it stings a little bit if I'm Ottawa. If anybody is listening to this and is a waiter or waitress at Applebee's, I don't think the captain directly meant to offend you as the lesser of the two siblings, but he probably did. And, you know, he's not sorry. I don't think anyone's really sorry either. Uh, Ottawa, they had one run to the cup finals in 2007 and they lose to the Ducks. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay's had a couple of appearances in the Eastern Conference Finals. They've won two Stanley Cups. They've been a perennial contender the last several years. So, yeah, I think uh, your analogy is pretty spot on there as far as those two clubs. But it's always nice to see teams returning to their roots. So that begs the question for everybody listening, what other NHL team needs to do this? Needs to change their look, rebrand, go back to something that they previously had, needs to reintroduce a look from the past, I mean, we, there's got to be some teams out there who need to do this, right? I think a lot of times in the NHL, that's one of the things I love about the NHL is that a lot of times for teams from a branding, from a logo design, uniform design, a lot of times the answers are in the past for these teams at some point. There's a lot of clubs that have been able to draw back. Uh, we talked during one of our previous episodes about the power of the Kachina jersey with the uh, Coyotes. Uh, that jersey was I remember that jersey being pretty reviled back in the day. People people didn't respond that well to it back oh, in the yeah. day. But, but now looking back through the uh, the nostalgia lens, I think there's a lot of people out there that really have grown to respect. I'm one of them. I, I enjoy the jersey now. I like seeing it. I think a lot of teams have that in their past. I think that's a cool thing about hockey. You look back enough in each team's, obviously, uh, you know, some of the newer teams – notwithstanding, because they don't have that long of, you know, Vegas Golden Knights. I think they came in with a pretty sharp look to begin with, but they don't have a very long history. But uh, you, you go back in a lot of these teams' history, and the answers are there for them. Uh, if they're trying to figure out, oh, we, we just don't really have the right look. You know, if you're uh, the Vancouver Canucks, let's say, and you uh, all you got to do is turn on some highlights of some of your best players, watch Bure come streaking down the wing and uh, fire some pucks home wearing that skate jersey, and all of a sudden you're you're – the light should be going off. And I think a lot of these teams have started to utilize these jerseys as uh, third jerseys, as alternate uniforms and things like that. I'm, I'm hoping some of these looks, Calgary and uh, Vancouver, we talked about in the past, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes using the Hartford Whalers. Some of these have come up on our program in uh, past weeks. But there's plenty of teams out there that I think they're starting to get it. 
but they just don't want to commit to making it their full-time 24-7. And I'd like to see more teams go back to the past because there's just so many sharp looks out there. I would definitely love to see Calgary continue to stick with that heritage uniform. That would be probably one of the greatest moves they could make. I know that we both agree that the Los Angeles Kings look way better in that Wayne Gretzky era uniform, which they did end up wearing in the 1920 season, which was definitely pretty cool to see. I think I think they ran like 90s night in Los Angeles and they wore those uniforms. That was awesome to see. So those are a couple that jump to mind. And one to look out for in the 2021 NHL season, which we hope starts in December. And I think this is rumor, but you could confirm for sure that the Colorado Avalanche, you know, I think it's a 25th anniversary year, uh, might be introducing a little Nordiques jersey. Maybe going back to wearing Quebec's jersey for a game or two, maybe more. I would be great. Whatever they wear it for, I'm cool with it because the team moves to Denver in 1995. It's what, 2020. 15 years would be a perfect time to introduce a nice Nordiques throwback. Yeah. You figure a lot of their success, a lot of their building blocks were built in Quebec. They obviously went down to Colorado and had some pretty immediate success once they got there, but a lot of their foundation was built in Quebec. I would love to see the Nordiques back and well represented in the NHL. Uh, One of the coolest hockey experiences I've ever had was during the, uh, the uh, lower years, I'd say, of, uh, of uh, leaner years of uh, attendance on Nassau, <laughs> Nassau Coliseum, the New York Islanders hosted the Montreal Canadiens on a uh, Nordiques night type performance where uh, I, you were there with me. We experienced about, I want to say about 10,000 Quebec natives coming off buses, planes and every other way to get to the Coliseum rocking Nordiques jerseys and literally taking over the building. And that's a team 10, 15 at that point. I, I can't remember. You probably would remember what year that is, but you're, you're talking, you remember a year on that? That was 2010. Yes. December of 2010. So you're talking 15 years after the fact, these guys can send 10,000 fans on buses and planes 15 years after their franchise went out of business, so to speak, moves to Colorado. They can pack 10,000 people on uh, various forms of transportation, drive down to Long Island, a team at the time that was struggling to uh, fill the seats. And uh, they were able to take over that building and everybody was wearing Quebec Nordiques gear. There's still a lot of passion for that franchise out there. I would love to see Colorado bring those uniforms back in some of that spirit. They were the Nordiques nation. I think they invaded the New Jersey next after that game. I think they were just trying to get any team who might've been struggling to come on to back to Quebec city. I mean, maybe the segment could even be which team needs to get a team, which city needs to get a team again. And Quebec's been passed over twice now, you know, Vegas in 2017. And now the, the Kraken in 2020, poor Vegas, uh, poor uh, Nordiques fans. I mean, Brand new arena up there in Quebec City. Beautiful area. It's a shame. I think you just actually opened and closed the segment because that's the place that needs to have it. I think you uh, addressed it perfectly. Uh, That's the city that needs to have it. They've got the arena. They got the fans. They have everything they need. The only thing I hope is that if they do come back, uh, if that ever happens, I hope you end up franchise-wise with more of a Winnipeg Jets situation where they were able to get the rights back from the previous franchise and be able to still brand themselves as the Jets rather than taking uh, the Minnesota Wild, for example. Uh, I don't care. I mean, look, nothing against the Minnesota Wild, but 
I mean, the Minnesota North Stars are one of the coolest franchises in the history of the game. Uh, Minnesota Wild, I don't care what they do. They're never going to be as cool. I mean, you're never going to have the uh, classic North Star. And I think that uh, that's kind of what needs to happen with Quebec. If they get their team back, they also need to get the jerseys, the uniforms, the whole shebang. Uh, And Winnipeg, just on your jersey discussion, Winnipeg's one of those teams that really needs to go back and look at their previous past. They need to look at Timu Solani doing that gun-shooting celebration. They need to look at those jerseys and say, huh, uh, maybe that's what we need to be wearing every night because we've already got it in our closet. And that was against the Quebec Nordiques. Perfect. This shit celebration. So I think you're absolutely right. The Nordiques definitely need to be the Nordiques if they ever were to go back to Quebec. And Winnipeg should definitely reconsider. I think that's a great point. And as far as the jersey talk, I mean, I'm sure we'll be able to continue that as well into the offseason as we see to see, you know, one of the cool things about draft day, which, by the way, is uh, October the 6th, is teams giving out their new uniforms to their draft picks. So we'll see Ottawa's new jersey for the first time in person or at least on an actual potential NHL player, a draft pick of theirs. So that that moves us on to the next segment. And on September 22nd, uh, one of the greatest goaltenders of New York Rangers history, Mike Richter, celebrated a birthday. Captain, do you want to talk about the legacy of New York Rangers goaltender, Mike Richter? I do. Maybe another guy? I do. And I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, We we talked about one of the greatest. So, uh, this is an interesting time for us right now where we've entered into the buyout period as far as contracts are concerned. There's been a lot of speculation that the New York Rangers are going to buy out Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, they recently did open up some cap space by dealing Mark Stahl uh, over to Detroit, so they may not trade him, but it's looking pretty good that they may end up uh, buying out or trading, finding a way to bury Lundqvist's contract, and his Ranger career may well be over. So this kind of begs the question. We just passed Mike Richter's 54th birthday. Um, You never want to compare two players. I mean, you always do, but you never want to compare them until the body of work is complete. I've read many, many, many articles recently describing Lundqvist hand over fist as the odds-on given – this is not even a discussion apparently to most people – that Lundqvist is unquestionably the best goaltender in New York Rangers history. I read it, I've seen it, and I took issue. I saw Richter's birthday, obviously, you know, I'm a proponent of the players. I'm a, you know, a captain, if you will. And I, uh, I love the scores. I love the players, but uh, I remember watching this guy. I remember watching the 94 finals. I remember watching the 96 world cup And uh, I took some issue with this. I would love to get into this discussion right now. Uh, You're talking about one of the greatest of all time. I'm going to make the argument to you right now that Mike Richter is the greatest New York Rangers goaltender of all time. And that it is not, in fact, the given Henrik Lundqvist. So I'm going to introduce some uh, some numbers in favor of Mike Richter. And, uh, you know, you, you don't have to cry if you don't want to. But we're going to talk about these two numbers. We're going to compare these guys a little bit. And we're going to get to the bottom of this once and for all. So Mike Richter, phenomenal goaltender, American goaltender, uh, great success uh, in the international arena as well as with the New York Rangers. This guy, uh, unfortunately, did deal with some injuries, some notable uh, concussion injuries, some knee injuries, or lower lower body injuries as far as the NHL is concerned today. But 
uh, dealt with some serious concussion problems, limited his career later on, but still put up 301 wins for the New York Rangers, 258 losses, ended his career with a 289 goals against average in the 90s, by the way. And, you know, you're the goaltender, so you can tell me. I mean, your goal, goals against average in the 90s was like a 17.5. Richter's a 2.89 and a, a 904 save percentage to finish out his overall career on the New York Rangers. So I'm going to concede right off the gate, right out of the gate, I should say, and right off the bat, that uh, when you take a look at the career numbers due to longevity, I'm going to concede that Lundqvist's regular season numbers are going to appear better. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about Lundqvist? So before we even get to the numbers, Lundqvist comes into the New York Rangers in 2005. So September 2005, he comes in as um, Kevin Weeks' backup. Remember, Kevin Weeks was assigned by the Rangers before the lockout to be their number one goalie. But Lundqvist comes in, and I, I, we were at the game, I believe, where Lundqvist gets his first NHL victory. I think it was against the New Jersey Devils. And he was a star from the minute he stepped foot on the ice. He took over for Kevin Weeks. There was no question from... 2015 up until about 2019, maybe 2018, there is absolutely zero question that the New York Rangers had a a number one goaltender who was their franchise. And I'm not arguing against the Mike Richter story, but for Lundqvist, he was the unquestioned number one goaltender for 15 years, or at least as close to 15 years as you could possibly get. I mean, looking at the, the numbers altogether, 459 wins over 889 games. Uh, We're looking at, uh, as far as shutouts are concerned, we're looking at 64 shutouts. I mean, the the numbers, 887 games, I should say. They got the two playoff, on Hockey DB, they have the two playoff games that Lunk was played. They counted it towards here. So 887 games and 459 wins because they didn't get any victories with him in the playoffs. But anyway, the numbers don't lie as far as Statistically, he is the greatest goaltender in Rangers history. I mean, as far as playoffs are concerned, statistically, he leads, he's got everything. He's got every category. His number is going to be hanging in the rafters for sure, if not himself hanging in the rafters. Who knows? I mean, the guy is a New York icon. And he's a king of New York. So as far as numbers are concerned, you can't argue with Lundqvist. I mean, the, the stature he's built in New York City, I, it'd be hard to picture him in another uniform. So I'll be definitely interested to see where and what happens to him. I don't think it's terrible if Lundqvist is the backup to Shesterkin. I mean, that could be possible. We saw when we spoke about this at length, the need for two solid goaltenders. But at this point, I don't think they could turn to Lundqvist anymore if they need him. I mean, unless there's an injury or something, they, I think that his time is over. I agree. I think his time, and that's why we've decided to get into this because uh, we, we felt it'd be a little disrespectful if they do turn out to buy him out. Uh, we don't want to I personally, for me, at least my side of the segment, I'm going to be advocating and I'll be advocating successfully in just a few minutes. You'll find out that I will be successfully advocating for Mike Richter as the greatest goaltender in New York Rangers history. But it would be disrespectful if they were to buy out Lundquist and then we were to kind of I don't mean to say anything negative about him. I just mean to say that, you know, Richter was the better Ranger. And then there's a whole lot of other elements going on here, but. Uh, Richter was the better Ranger goaltender, and for me, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take your goaltending 
knowledge and your uh, background. And I'm going to throw it out the window for this because it doesn't matter. What matters here is the number one. You want to talk statistics. You only need to know one number and it is one. And that's the amount of Stanley Cups that Mike Richter won for the New York Rangers. And that's the number that Henrik Lundqvist did not get to achieve. So you want to go back and look at history for these guys, right? The New York Rangers won the Stanley Cup in 1940. And anybody who lived in the tri-state area up until the uh, 1994 Rangers Stanley Cup champion had to hear the chance of 1940. Took them a very long time, 54 years to win that Stanley Cup. And the guy who they won it with, Mike Richter, played behind an offensive-minded team before the defensive era that took hold shortly after with the New Jersey Devils, the trap, all that stuff hadn't come out yet. This was a guy, and you can attest to this as a goaltender because I've seen you back there, for a goaltender to be on an offensive-minded team that is going to be regularly left out high and dry to have to make high-percentage, difficult, acrobatic saves at any given time Versus a goalie like Lundqvist, many years later, playing in a tight defensive system that was built around him to make all the uh, the positional saves that he made, I think there's a big difference here. I think that if you take Mike Richter out of New York Rangers history, the number remains 1940 is the last time the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. Their drought would now be 80 years since the last time they won the Stanley Cup because Lundqvist's time has now come and gone and he was not able to bring the team across the finish line to the Stanley Cup. You can't argue with that. I mean, the the Stanley Cup is the biggest thing that separates Richter and Lundqvist. And I mean, that is the biggest thing and it should be. And it's not to say that Lundqvist couldn't have won a Stanley Cup with the Rangers. He came awfully close in 2014 came within a goal of a Stanley cup final again in 2015 at losing at the hands of hey, the Tampa Bay lightning who just won a Stanley cup. But if you look at the, the, like the, the teams and the times they played on, like Richter comes in and he plays with John Van Beesburg and almost a split every other game schedule for the first couple of years of his career. You're like 89, 90, 90, 91, 91-92, he's splitting time with John Van Beesburg. 92-93, he's even splitting time for the most part. He even gets sent down to the minor leagues, plays for the Binghamton Rangers for a brief stint in the 92-93 season. Then all of a sudden, you know, 93-94 comes around. Mike Keenan comes to the New York Rangers. And, you know, like that propelled that, that team, which is what they needed to win a Stanley Cup. But after that, like 95 to 96 playoffs, 97, that was a pretty good run. But from 98 to the rest of Richter's career, the Rangers were mediocre. You know, Lundqvist, on the other hand, was on a Rangers team that was solid for a lot longer period of time. And it was mostly because of Lundqvist. You know, Richter did have the unfortunate injuries, but that last stretch of his career from 97 to 98, 99, 2000, 2001 suffers a knee injury. I think he suffered one in 2000 also. 2002, 2003, his career effectively is over. Does not have the strongest finish, but that one Stanley Cup is the one thing that you know that that gives him the nod as the, the the guy. I mean, stylistically on the ice, he was definitely at least for me way, way more fun to watch than Lundqvist is. I mean, he was way more acrobatic. He made more saves. You know, he was everywhere on the ice. Traveled the the, the T push, the lateral push across the ice is a Richter classic. 
and his equipment and helmet were way better. His mask was more stylish. His equipment, at least I love the old Vaughn, the old Vaughn's. And then he went to Bowers later in his career. Uh, and in fact, I think the best mask that Lundquist ever had in his career was uh, the Mike Richter replica he wore on the 25th anniversary of the the cup in, in, in 2000 and what was it? 2019 when they played against the, the hurricanes in February that year, that was his best mask. So I don't know for Lundquist. Yeah, definitely is. It's got the, the numbers behind him, but the only number you need is that one Stanley cup. Well, it's, it's the one Stanley cup, but you know, you got to look at it and say that this is really kind of a decision of when you're deciding which one is the greater goalie for the franchise you've got to look at it and i guess it's up to the individual a little bit what do you determine what's your barometer for greatness because lundquist's highs were not as high as richter's highs richter won the stanley cup with that team he uh obviously lundquist had some we we could get into in a little bit some of their success on the international stage because they both had some great success playing international hockey representing uh, USA for Richter and Sweden for Lundqvist, both phenomenal international goalies as well. But Richter's highs were higher than Lundqvist's highs. However, Richter's lows, and I acknowledge, were lower than Lundqvist's lows. Lundqvist was consistently very good. But when you're talking about being the greatest for a franchise, uh, you got to look, you can't ignore the highest highs. If you take you know, Lundqvist to me reminds me more of a John Davidson. He played on teams that got close. He's legendary. He was great. He, he did a great job. But when you don't bring the team across the finish line, and Richter did so with flourish. I mean, the, the Pavel Bore breakaway save we talked about in past episodes on this show. I mean, this guy did it with style. He uh, stood on his head. I mean, his numbers – you want to talk, uh, you know, dominance in the 1994 Stanley Cup championship. You know, the guy puts up a 207 goals against average and a 921 save percentage throughout the playoffs in 1994. We're not talking about 2020 where teams and goalies can put up those numbers routinely. You're talking you would look at some teams getting over a 900 save percentage was a feat. And this guy was shutting them down left and right. He hangs on. He was – he was instrumental when the team needed the save. He made the save. He made the breakaway saves. He made all the big stops and he got that team over the hump. And then from that point on, you're right. Later in his career, he did have some injuries, but would you rather be the, uh, the journeyman? Would you rather be the guy that was consistently very good? Like Lundquist was, or the guy who one time at one moment was the greatest. You could make an argument that for a certain amount of time between, I would say, for me, I would say 1994 to 1996, I would say that two to three year window. If you had to play one game during that time and you needed to have any goalie on the planet in your net to win a game seven type of situation, I think you could make an argument for Richter over anybody in the world. Now, Lundquist, on the other hand, he had some great performances, some good Game 7 performance. He had a good Game 7 record uh, up until fairly recently. Yeah. I'm not knocking him. However, he always found a way to be the guy that played really, really, really good but gave up that one goal at the time that did not allow his team to take home the ultimate prize. 
Uh, it's unfortunate too. I mean, the one that comes to mind was in uh, the 2015 uh, Eastern Conference Final when they lost to Tampa Bay in Game Seven. The one little drip, one dribbler from the blue line. I think it was Alex Kalorn. I got people got fact check on this one, but that's the one that comes to mind. Like that was just a backbreaker, and the Rangers did they had they had the look of a team that could win the Stanley Cup that year in 2015. They really did. And it's unfortunate that they didn't do it for Lundqvist. Speaking of Stanley Cup celebrations, you know, like maybe Mike Richter would have been the guy who could have gotten the cup directly after Mike, uh, directly after Mark Messier, as far as a goaltender is concerned, because his cup celebration was awesome when he got the cup. That was like a fulfillment of a, a lifelong, you know, mission of his to 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 be the best in the world. And everything for me, at least, and then maybe you could be the same is based off that 94 cup celebration. So every time I watch a celebration, I compare it to the 94 year because that's the the end all be all end all celebrations of all time. And Henrik Lundqvist, if he ever were to win a cup should definitely be the second guy to get it. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's really the difference. He's the second guy. I think you just said it. One guy's the one who's out there holding the cup. And the other guy would be that second guy that we talked about earlier. That would be the one who'd be getting handed off the cup uh, by, you know, somebody else. Because I think that uh, Lundqvist as good as he was, was, you know, he was a, really 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 good goalie for a long time but ultimately at the end of the day you take the two of them out you use that kind of utilitarian perspective you look at the two and you say all right well if i take uh Lundquist out of the new york rangers for those years what changes overall at the end of his career we're looking back okay so maybe that one year they don't lose to tampa bay uh, maybe they you know he did win that one vesna trophy very impressive richter never won a vesna um, and I will concede, actually, I will concede that Lundqvist has a better case for the Hockey Hall of Fame than Mike Richter. But when you're talking about franchise greats, when you're talking about the guy, the most important guy, for me, it's Mike Richter and it's not even close. So I've had a chance to uh, give you kind of the better argument, I'd say, and the most appropriate information that you need to make your decision so right now you got to look at the situation keeper. I mean, you're an old time vintage hockey goalie enthusiast better than anybody. Uh, you got to pick one of the two. I mean, who's the greatest of all time for the New York Rangers? I got to go Mike Richter. <laughs> I know the argument you make that I started to try to make for Lundquist, but Hey, we can't go wrong with either one of these guys in 20 years from now, if you know, they put their picture on the screen at the at Madison square garden, if they're sitting in the stands, they're going to get an eruption of applause, no matter what, what's going on. So you can't go wrong, but I'm going to err on the side of the Stanley cup. And yeah. as an honorable mention, though, it's got nothing to do with the New York Rangers, that 96 world cup, that 96 world cup team, Richter coming out on top might, and he was the MVP of that tournament. That might've even been even more impressive than the 94 cup. I I dare, dare I say. For me, that was my, uh, when I look at goalies, you know, a group that I largely dismiss uh, for the most part as guys who can't score a whole lot of goals, Uh, goaltenders for me, when I look at goaltending performances, that 96 world cup of hockey uh, gold medal win for Mike Richter. And I say Mike Richter because he didn't have a whole lot of help from Team USA at times during that tournament. This guy got shelled for every single game against Canada. I have, for me, I have never seen a goaltending performance uh, that dominant by one guy yeah. showing athleticism, acrobatics, and everything that he did. Now, taking it you know to the next level, obviously, if we're going to continue the comparison with Lundqvist, 
Lundqvist won a gold medal in the Olympics. You know, Richter won a a silver medal, which a lot of people forget about the 2002 silver medal. Still pretty good. He was amazing. I mean, he was uh, he, he put up a 9.32 save percentage. You know, in the uh, the USA's silver medal performance, unfortunately, they came up against guys like Mario Lemieux and uh, company, the guys that they managed to beat in the 96 World Cup. But uh, Canada was just too stacked. But those are two tournaments where the guy literally stood on his head. And I've never seen goaltending like that before. My, for me, I look at it and say, you watch a guy like Richter play back in the day in those tournaments. I think just about anybody watches him play and says, wow, it would be really cool to be a goalie because that guy was superhuman. He was diving around, doing everything. Lundqvist, great goalie, product of the new environment. Benoit Allaire, fantastic goalie coach. But, you know, times have changed. Things are a little bit different now. Goalies square up. They sit there. They drop down on their knees. They make a save. For me, not as exciting. I go with Richter, International, or New York Rangers. Uh, it's hard to argue that, and I think I agree with you. And it's that that Olympic gold medal, uh, a silver medal in 02, came out one year after his massive knee injury that he had to rehab himself back from. I think he was pushing himself to get to that Olympics because the NHL players are still going to continue playing. So definitely is probably the most determined athlete the New York Rangers have ever had. And I think that is pretty evident in what he was able to accomplish in his, his NHL career and international career. So kudos to Mike Richter celebrating his 54th birthday, September 22nd. So it's hard to believe that he's 54. That makes us feel a little older, doesn't it? Well, he's, you know, he's also celebrating his first major victory on the captain of the keeper, uh, old time vintage hockey radio program podcast show. But, uh, you know, I think when you look at those type of situations with him, uh, we don't want to put down Lundquist. You know, this guy was a great athlete. This guy was New York Rangers royalty. And like you said, he he's deserving of everything he gets. But there can only be one in this type of discussion. And if there's one thing you've learned from listening to the captain and the keeper, it's that the guy with the most dominant statistics very rarely has a chance to be crowned king on our show. That's uh, for sure. Our heart trophy picks came up a little bit short. Ooh. I stand by mine. I know you stand by yours. Uh, we both lost out to old Drysaddle. I'd pick it again. I'd go McKinnon again any day of the week. I know you'd go Panarin again. Uh, Drysaddle and his hundred and something points. The guy needs to uh, take a chill pill. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't the MVP as far as I'm concerned. I stand by it. Uh, but, you know, same basic concept applied to Richter and Lundquist. On our show, statistics aren't everything. And I said a different guy was going to win the Hart and the Ted Lindsay, so I was way off. And just as you know, since the playoffs are over now, I was also completely way off on all the playoff picks. So I'm I'm owning up to it now. I see my the error of my ways. That Tampa Bay was the superior team this season. But anyway, diving back into the goaltending scenario one more time, we're going to hit the hug in the post segment right now. Are you ready for this? Oh yeah, let's do it. So again, to a September anniversary, we go for this Hugging the Post, um, September 23rd, 1992. And again, back to the 92-93 season. Uh, Manon Rayon becomes the first female to play in a one of the four major North American professional sport leagues. Tampa Bay Lightning are a brand new NHL team. Speaking of the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think it fits. Was this, this was not even meant to be, but this is perfect. So Manuel Rayom comes in. Tampa Bay has their first ever preseason. They have guys in their preseason roster in net like Wendell Young, 
a name you might remember, I don't know, was a Stanley Cup champion for the Pittsburgh Penguins the year before as their third goaltender, speaking of third goaltenders. But Madeline Riom gets 20 minutes of an NHL preseason against the St. Louis Blues in 1992. She's only 20 years old, defies the odds. You know, like, I know Phil Esposito was the the general manager and like the, the guy who basically invented the Tampa Bay Lightning. This could have been seen as a gimmick on his part, and maybe it was, but it worked and it didn't backfire on him. I mean, she she performed admirably, stood on her head, and ends up you know playing professional hockey. She plays for the Atlanta Knights. She even plays in Las Vegas. Uh, Manon Rayon went on to have a pretty successful career internationally as well for Team Canada in the in the uh, the Olympics in 1998 in Nagano, Japan. Um, but going back to that original moment, it was pretty cool to see that a, a female could do this, that she could play in an NHL game, and I think it gave rise to. Women's hockey. I mean, women are getting scholarships to play Division One college hockey. There's a professional women's hockey league that plays in North America. And I don't think any of that would have been possible without Phyllis Pizzito and Manon Rayholm doing it. In 1992, 28 years ago, uh, this past, the week that had just passed, um, speaking on, on my behalf, growing up as a, a goaltender who played you know, street hockey at first and starting into ice hockey, Menno Rayom in 93, 94 was one of the, for me, one of the the coolest things that I could have ever seen. I, I had her poster on my wall. I tried to collect every Menno Rayom collectible and card that I could possibly imagine as a 12-year-old boy. It didn't hurt that she was a, a woman playing hockey. And that was pretty cool to see. And everything that was involving her, I had to get my hands on. So really cool story, pretty quick. Summer of 1994, I get to see her twice. This is pretty interesting. So in 1994, she plays roller hockey for the, if everybody out there remembers, the New Jersey Rock and Rollers were a professional RHI roller hockey international team. And I think Nick Fatiu might've been either an owner or something in that team. He played with that team as well. And Manon Rayom got into a couple of games and I got to see one of those games at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. So Daniel Bertiome was in net and he's also another old NHL vet. So he gives way to Manon Rayom. I think the fans were demanding that she play. So Manon Rayom comes in and she was pretty acrobatic. She was really, really good goaltender. It was pretty cool seeing her play in person. And then later that summer, I think it was in August of 94, one of the traditions that my family used to have was we used to go, and we're from the New York, the New York area, of course. So we used to go try to find where the players would be at golf tournaments. Throughout that summer, that was one of the cool things we did. I don't know how cool it was for a lot of people listening. I'm think, pretty sure we snuck onto these courses. I think one of the courses we went to was Wingfoot in Westchester, New York. Um, there was a, a huge golf tournament where a lot of professional hockey players were going to be at. So we packed up as many hockey cards as we could from NHL players that we thought could be there. A lot of Ranger cards. But one of the people who was there was Manon Rayom. And I was just in awe of seeing her. So I was going to go over and take a picture, have her sign some stuff that I had. I don't even think I had a card for her, but I had to have her sign something. I don't even know if I ever ended up ever getting her to sign anything. But anyway, she goes into the clubhouse and I think I was physically uh, crying because I didn't get a chance to take a picture with her. Sounds like you. Pretty much. So moments later, she comes out and I take a picture with my own Rayom and a couple of my cousins who were there, my sisters. And it was so awesome to have this picture with my own Rayom. I think I'm wearing a Chicago Blackhawks hat. And Manon Rayom was right behind me. I think she was like, at that point, my guess must have been 22. I was 
13 year old kid. So it was really cool seeing her in person. And you could, you know, understand this too. Like I know you had her, you're running with Dan Cloutier. This was the opposite of that. She was about as nice as you could possibly be. Can't recall if I had anything autographed, but at this tournament, by the way, on a side note, Chris Pronger was there and he had just, you know, played his rookie season for the Hartford Whalers. So it was pretty cool seeing guys like that. Uh, Bobby Holik from the New Jersey Devils. But anyway, Manon Rayon was the the draw for me that afternoon. And my tears were, I'm sure, gone the minute I saw her come back out and take a picture. I think I hugged her too. So that was pretty pretty awesome. So Manon Rayon, I think, is the is a fitting way to end Tampa Bay Lightning to end this Hug the Post segment uh, for our first ever season. So that's well, all I got for Hugging the Post. What do you think? I, I like, uh, you know, I like what the NHL, you talked about the decision on that one, putting her in there, how it could have been viewed as a gimmick. Uh, we've been playing at this point a very long time. We, uh, you know, we've played with some uh, female players over the years, specifically uh, one of our friends, a, a female goaltender who, unlike you, I can't seem to score on. Um, well, she's far superior. I, yeah, and what I've seen is there's been a big impact from this one woman playing goal, you know, almost 30 years ago at this point. Uh, she made a big impact. She brought a lot of people into the game, and uh, you got to give hockey some credit on that front. Uh, you don't see other leagues doing this. You don't see, uh, you know, uh, you never saw a female come out and take, uh, you know, bat in an exhibition MLB game or uh, a WNBA player crossover and give it a go at the NBA uh, other than the ridiculous lingerie leagues and football, other distractions that they tried to put out there. You don't see uh, you don't see a whole lot of that aside from that. There was that one woman trying to be a uh, kicker uh, for the NFL, which is pretty cool, but you got to like what they what they did with this personally. You know, I draw the parallel to uh, this past year at the uh, all-star game you know, bringing out a, uh, a, an Olympic athlete in uh, Kendall coin uh, Schofield coming out there and absolutely uh, just taking it to the NHL players on the speed contest going around the rink. You got a bunch of NHL guys who are kind of, I don't want to accuse them of sandbagging it, but all-star weekend, they don't usually uh, always go as hard as they can. You saw this uh, female USA Olympian come out there and take them to task she went around the, the rink faster than Clayton Keller. Uh, she was no joke. This this girl was no nonsense. And other than that real creepy montage of Pierre Maguire uh, getting close to her and trying to tap her on the butt while he was talking to her, which was extremely weird. Uh, other than that clown, uh, the NHL has tried to do some things with uh, some female players over the year. Uh, over the years, what I would like to see the NHL do, I, I think they should use Rayom as an example. I think the NHL. Uh, every year they should uh, they should do some kind of thing where they take one of the top women's players from international play. And there's a ton of them on team USA and team Canada specifically. There's a ton of them out there that, you know, they can legitimately play. They, they're really good players. Now, obviously they play with some different rules, but uh, what would really be the harm in giving one of the best women in the world an opportunity to suit up in one exhibition game per preseason for the NHL. Obviously the teams have things going on. They're trying to finalize their rosters. I get that. That's important, but we're about to have 32 teams in the NHL. Why is it not possible that every year one team 
could put one of the best female athletes in the world to play this game and throw them into an exhibition game and give them that same exposure that uh, Manon Rayom got back in the 90s. And she only played 20 minutes, like you said, right? She only got one period. Yeah, one in- period. In- exhibition. Yeah, let's let's use the exhibition format and let's give some of the top female athletes an opportunity to come out there because you know if they play in an exhibition game, they're going to give it everything they've got. Uh, there's no reason why if uh, these players can go around there, all right, so maybe they can't hang with an NHL team and maybe they won't make the team and play a full season. We, we understand that. Uh, the game is different. They're built different. Bodies are different. That's okay. But I don't see any reason why we couldn't put one of them in there. It doesn't have to be a goalie. Put one of them in there for a full game. Give them some exhibition time. Get them out there. That's great exposure for the game. Uh, great exposure for women's hockey because I think they would. I think they'd hold their own just fine. I don't. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to hang around. They might not score four goals a game, but a lot of players that play in exhibition games don't. We see teams every year throwing. Uh, you know, a, a tryout contract to a guy who maybe has passed his prime just to give him that one last hurrah uh, playing in uh, preseason games. I, I think we should see some more of that. I think uh, this is a good example. I think it's been too long since they did it. Uh, I think they should try it again and give them an op- give them a legitimate chance. Obviously, they're not going to make uh, maybe not a legitimate chance to make the team, but give them a chance to play in an exhibition game. And then from that point, you know, what you're – what the things that go on behind the scene that may be uh, the scenes that maybe most people don't see is uh, if you get an opportunity to play in an exhibition game for a national hockey league team, at that point you have credibility for the rest of your life. If that woman gets in and plays in an exhibition game, she can now go basically anywhere she wants and be the go-to hockey coach for that region. And she could probably attract all the female hockey players, all the young girls that are, you know, uh, prospective hockey players that are aspiring players. She then would bring that street cred, you know, having that time. We've seen plenty of guys that we uh, we used to work with and around that played maybe a handful of games in the minors, and that's their claim to fame. They, they coach kids hockey for 20 years because they were drafted and played a handful of games. Sometimes before. exhibition. Yeah, just exhibition. But, hey, you played a couple games with such and such NHL team. That carries a lot of weight. I don't see any reason why we couldn't do that with the best of the best in terms of female athletes, give them some exposure. I think this is a good point you brought up. I don't think it has to be restricted to goalies. I think we should see some more of this going forward. Exhibition games are boring for the most part anyway. I think all of a sudden you would turn an exhibition game into kind of a can't-miss event. I think everybody would like to see that. I mean, it would be kind of fun to see that female athlete come in there. You know they'd have something to prove. And they've certainly proved on the international level that they can play. Put them out there. Let's see it. All of a sudden, you get them out there, get them an exhibition game. Let's see them go. I'm a proponent of that. I think you make a great point. I don't, I don't think it's too much of a gimmick or too much for the NHL to even think that they wouldn't want to do that moving forward. I, maybe we have Manon Rayom to thank for those Dunkin' Donuts commercials with uh, David Pasternak and uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield, like you previously mentioned. Maybe we wouldn't have seen those wonderful commercials where she she hurts Pasta's feelings. You know, a couple other quick things. Um, the New York Islanders do a pretty nice job of. They have two um, 
two women who do the, the the games doing color commentary, AJ Malesko and Jennifer Botterill. And uh, they both had international hockey careers in the, in the, in the wake of Manon Riom's, you know, make the trailblazer pushing the way through to inspire a whole generation of female players. Um, there's even a movie on that, that I don't know when, when the movie's coming out, but there's a movie based on her life called between Manon Riom that is called between the pipes. And that's, uh, she's, she's going to have a small part in the movie, but someone else will be playing her, the younger version of her. So that'll be something to look out for when it is ultimately released. I'll be looking, I'll be eagerly waiting to check that one out called Between the Pipes. I especially hope they use period accurate gear and apparel because I love seeing these movies when they are dressed for early 90s spec. That seems like a prime opportunity for some old school equipment and gear all around. If they screw it up, I will not watch it. If she's not wearing the appropriate Cooper gear that she wore in that preseason game, I will not watch it. If she's not wearing an iTech helmet with that same lightning design on it, I will not watch it. If it comes, uh, if it, if the dressing comes on the salad, I send it back. You will send it back, and <laughs> and I certainly understand that. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's all the time we have for today, and that's going to do it for our first season here on the Captain of the Keeper Old Time Vintage Hockey Radio Program Podcast. We will have some check-ins over the modified off-season where we're going to get you caught up on some of the big news and some of our uh, takes and opinions on some of the things going on around the league because it should be an interesting time over the next couple months. But we will return to our weekly broadcast format at the start of next season. We are hoping that'll be sometime around December. And we are, it could be maybe as late as January, but we're hoping that'll be sometime around December, January. Uh, we are excited for everything the offseason brings. It's one of my favorite times in hockey. It's kind of interesting that it is happening at this time of year, but it's cool. We got no problem with it. Uh, so please make sure that you check us out. Uh, make sure you follow us so when, you, when those episodes do come out, they'll pop up. Uh, follow us on your podcast host of choice. We are available on all the major services, including Google, Apple, uh, and Spotify as well. And make sure you guys circle a couple dates in your calendar. We have October 6th as the NHL entry draft and October 9th, the free agency period begins the free agency frenzy, which usually is July 1st. So keep an eye out on those dates and also keep an eye out on our Instagram page. Make sure you like and follow everything you see for the captain of the keeper. Throw a couple of uh, you know suggestions up there for any questions that you might have for us or topics you want us to talk about in the off season. And we'll be sure to make sure we mention them on our episodes. We always love doing that. Maybe another Q&A session and like and follow everything you see on facebook facebook as well so please keep up with the social media stuff and what we're posting and what we're what uh, what episodes we have coming out during the uh, fall off season and it's been a great pleasure and we will see you soon on behalf of the captain of the keeper this is the captain saying bye-bye now and this is the keeper saying bye-bye now yeah sure why not have a great off season everybody <laughs>